0: This reading is from 1 John 2:12-17. I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you little children because you have known the father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, Is not of the Father, but is of the world, and the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Amen.
1: All right. Well, I want to invite you to open your Bibles, if um, if you weren't already there, um, whether it's on your phone or whether you have a a physical Bible with you. Uh, If you'll open it up to First John, we're going to explore a little bit more in this incredible letter In this series, we've entitled "What's Love Got to Do with It?" And just to make sure that you don't feel left out this week, uh, if you'll hit the title slide. There we go. I know I just keep getting stranger, but that's all right. Thank you for loving me and for your grace towards uh, towards me. um, deep in my heart, somewhere is is the dream to actually be able to really play a guitar. But maybe in heaven, we'll see. We'll see what happens. When we look at the gospel, and when we look at this letter of First John, there's a central theme that permeates so much of what we see, and it is simply this: real happiness. The life that you're looking for, that I'm looking for, is found in living in union with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And so that's, that's the first half of it. But the second half is, is not only do we live in union with him because of what Jesus did, but then we live out his love towards others. And so we become a part of his work, of his plan, of his good news. And, and when we can truly grasp but that, that is the greatest pursuit in all of life is to live united with Christ, to honor him with our lives, and then to show his love to those around us, your life will be filled even when you walk through darkness with incredible joy. And and even as we sang before, you will see victory because you'll see God doing things in you and through you because his pleasure resides in those who worship and praise him. One of the great things about being a church, being a body of believers with diverse backgrounds and, and, and being filled together with the presence of the Holy Spirit is that we're able to learn from one another. And I promise you, I, I make this statement often, uh, whenever we have baptism, that the best sermon you will ever hear that day will be coming from what is said in the, in the baptistry. And last week, um, after service, kyric made an observation that was absolutely phenomenal. Um, It's like, man, I wish you would have said that. And and I could have just sat down. We could have forgotten the whole sermon because it was so, so good. Here's what he said. He says, I was thinking when, when you read through 1 Corinthians description of love, that you could take the word love and just substitute Jesus. And it is so powerful. Let me just read it to you. In fact, let's put it up on the screen. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not boast. Jesus is not proud. Jesus does not dishonor others. Jesus is not self-seeking. Jesus is not easily angered. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Jesus never fails. And not only is that just a great insight, it's incredible theology as well because as we go farther into into the letter of 1 John, we see this bold statement that John makes where he says that, that God is love. Love emanates from his character, from his nature. And so it's very appropriate to put his name there in the place of love because he is the source of love. And he is the life that you and I are all looking for. Well, as we approach this next portion of the passage, I want to set the context um, for, for where we're going to go by, by backing up a couple verses from where we read uh, and examine the command to love. Because um, what John gives us is he reminds us of Jesus' own words in verse, in verse seven. He says this, Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him, which is in Jesus, and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Verse 9. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. John is reminding us of what is most important. When Jesus is asked what is the most important commandment in all of the Bible, he refers back to the Shema in the Old Testament. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the reason that those two go together so so well is that the way that God has designed for us to express our love for him is through our love for one another. You see, love is always a cross. It always is cruciform. It is cross-shaped. And that our love for God will always be expressed just like the outstretched arms on a cross in a love that reaches out to others. Now, last week I I tried to to give you a little bit more of a definition of, of what biblical love really looks like. And that's what we 've been exploring this whole series it's not an emotion it's not a response. True love is sacrificial. true love serves and I used a little acrostic so if you' were, if you're here last week, I just want to remind you if you weren't here, I want to catch you up that true love, real love, serves others because this is the love that God has shown to us in Jesus and so I gave you that little acrostic there that Calls us to sacrifice ourselves. That's why Jesus said, if you want to follow Him, we have to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and then pursue Him, become like Him. It requires true love, requires an offering of ourselves, a laying aside of our rights, of our desires, in order to serve the needs of another. With that, we need to empathize with others, we need to place ourselves in their shoes. It was beautiful last week after the service. We had the prayer time and, and over here under the windows, it was, just, it was packed with people praying for the refugees that were gonna be uh, meeting at, at the bridge, those from Costalettes who had received very very hard news about what their future looked like. It was beautiful seeing people in prayer standing in their place and lifting them up. And God is working in the midst of that. And, it, and Tuesday was a hard day for those, for those refugees, but God is working and they've seen some doors open and I wanna urge you to keep praying because God is going to bring a victory. He's gonna bring many of those people to see his truth and his love. Real love empathizes. It puts themselves in another's shoes. But real love also has to have a source. It can't come just from our own effort. It has to rest in the person of Jesus Christ and in his love for us because you and I will empty out like that unless we're resting in his love. Real love also values the person as God's masterpiece. We see others no matter what their background, what their culture, where they're from or even necessarily how they act with a glimpse of how God sees them as a masterpiece he longs to restore. But if love is sacrificial, we should expect hardship. Love is never easy. It will cost you. Think about how much it cost God to express his love for you and me. He gave what was most precious the the dearest, closest relationship that he had, the greatest treasure of his heart, God the Father willingly gave in giving his son Jesus for us. We should not expect that if we are to learn to love like Jesus, that we will not endure hardship and rejection and pain and trial. A part of that hardship, though, prompts us and takes us to a place where we in the church have not done a good job of teaching what the scripture really says, it takes us to a theology of suffering because when you love like God loves and you experience that hardship, we actually enter into sharing his heart. We begin to feel and sense how God feels about the brokenness, about the hurt in our world, about brokenness in relationships and in lives, and why he was unwilling to let it go, but personally stepped in to rescue us. That's a picture of real love. That's the kind of love that we see here in 1 John. Now, from this point on, as John has given us this command, he breaks into a passage of the, of the scripture that, that, um, that Karen read for us that may seem a little strange um because it seems kind of just repetitious and you're trying to figure out what is this all about? You know, talking to children, talking to young young people, talking to fathers, and he seems to repeat things over and over again, and it and it seems a little puzzling when you first look at it. But one of the things I want you to notice, if you have actually your print Bible, you'll see that this portion uh, of scriptures, 12 through uh, 14, is offset in your Bible. In most of the translations that you have, whether it's in Czech or English or Russian or whatever, it will be offset. And the reason that it is is because this is a poem. What is written here, what what John is writing is he's writing a piece of poetry. And actually what I think he is writing is he's writing a song of encouragement. He is writing a battle cry. Because from this point on, the letter begins to turn and it takes on a different approach in that he is exposing the strategy of the enemy and how he uses sin against us to defeat or at least to attempt to defeat the work of God's love in our hearts and our life. And so what he's trying to do is he's trying to build up believers, whether they're a newborn believer, whether they're a growing believer or a mature follower of Christ. He's saying each of you have a role that you need to fulfill and I want to build you up because we need one another and God is calling us to run to the battle of love. And so what this really is, is, a, is an anthem much like the song that we sang, I'm going to see a victory, the battle belongs to the Lord. That's the kind of song this is. When you, if you look at it in the original language, and, and if we could have felt it in the context of the first century, as in the way that they use poetry, it would have, we would have heard it like a song that would have stirred our hearts. And my hope is today that these words, even though the style isn't one we're familiar with, it, that God's word, that the Holy Spirit will ignite it and stir your hearts and stir my heart. Because it's absolutely beautiful. So let's look at this song. He says, I am writing to you, little children. And this phrase that he uses, little children, John uses all through the book. And in this case, It doesn't mean that you're necessarily uh, young or a young believer. He uses that as his term of endearment for all believers, for all the church. Because by this time, John is at least in his 80s. And he he has had an an incredible life. Um, He was one of the youngest of the disciples who walked with Jesus. He was the disciple that describes himself as the one that Jesus loved. That was his identity and he had, he had ministered to the church at Ephesus. He had likely served as, as the pastor. He had written um, the Gospel of John. He's written these letters here in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and the book of Revelation. But his core heart, especially later in life, is that of a pastor who absolutely loves God's people. And so he always addresses them as little children. It's, it's a term of love. He says, I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake, for Jesus' sake. He's writing in this song, the first thing that you need to remember, believer, is you are forgiven. You need to remember your identity. The second thing he says is I'm writing to you fathers. And in the way he's writing this, this could be fathers and mothers. He's speaking to those who are in leadership, Within the church, who are mature Christ followers. And he's, and he's saying this to, to remind us, because you know him who is from the beginning. And we'll unpack that phrase in just a little bit. But he has a little bit different message for us and what he's reminding us of. If you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, you need to tune into what he's saying here and we'll unpack it. Um, I'm writing to you, young men, and that it also could be young men and young women. He's saying growing believers. Those who've come to faith um, in him and you're beginning to grow and he's reminding you of this because you have overcome the evil one. That's another theme that runs all through this letter is that you in Christ are an overcomer. That's one of the reasons why we sang that song, we're gonna see a victory because the battle does belong to the Lord. I write to you children and here it's a different word. This is referring to newborn believers because you know the Father. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. He repeats exactly the same thing in that, this stanza of the song. And then he goes and I says, I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. So this section, this battle hymn is incredibly important. Because when, when you look at it, at least in, in my heart as I was studying and looking, um, looking um, at this passage, it reminded me of how Israel was designed to go into battle. When God sent Israel into battle against another nation, do you know who was, who was on the front lines? The very first people that were there in the battle. Anyone want to guess who that was? Judah, Judah, yes, that was the first tribe, very good, X bonus points for that one, on the, on the tribe, anyone, anyone else, also guess? Singers. The singers, the musicians, okay, now, we tend to think, you know, uh, of musicians, you know, sometimes our image is, you know, a little, like, karaoke band kind of a thing, or sitting off in the side in the club, you know, um, But in Israel's day, the people who were first in line to face the spears and the arrows were the musicians. Now, that doesn't happen much in in modern battle. But it happened then because what they were saying was a reminder that our confidence is not in our ability. It is not in our armor, it is not in our horses, it's not in our chariots, it's not in our arrows, it's not in our spears. Our confidence is in the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. And that's why the musicians went first is because the thing that the people of God had to remember is if they were gonna see a victory, it was gonna be because of what God would do. And so therefore, the only right response, the only way to truly prepare for battle was to praise him. Now there's a certain degree where even in in pagan cultures you'll hear, you know, they'll 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 do songs or chants or screams or or, or different things to kind of pump them up themselves up for battle, but it wasn't like that. This was worship that went before him. And that's what John is doing here. He is stirring up the hearts of the church to remind them who they are in Christ because in just a few more verses, he's gonna reveal the strategy of the enemy. So set between the command to love and the strategy of the enemy that seeks to do war against you is this battle hymn that is absolutely fantastic. Verse 12. I'm writing to you, little children, remember Your sins are forgiven. What he's saying is the place that we have to begin for every believer, if we're going to live a life of victory, if we're gonna understand the love of God, if we're gonna see victory over sin in our lives is we need to remember our position in Jesus Christ. He has called you his own. You are clothed with Jesus' righteousness. Now run to the battle of love in confidence. It's not about your might or your strength. It's about remembering you are forgiven. God has made you new. You're a new creation. That's what John is reminding of. He's stirring the hearts of his people. Verse 13, I write to you, fathers, mature followers of Jesus, both male and female, remember Jesus is from the beginning. I'm writing to you because you know God, you've experienced God. Your faith walk is vital for building up the lives of others. This is why the pattern in the church is that mature believers are to mentor, are to disciple, are to invest in the lives of younger believers. And in a, um, a few weeks, we're going to do some training in uh, discipleship and mentoring that gives some resources to help equip us so that, so that more of that happens. Because we need to in, be investing in the lives of one another. And one of the best ways that that happens is in our small groups, And so if you're not currently a part of a small group, I want to urge you for your own um, need, become one. We have great small groups, different Bible studies, different groups of single adults, young adults. We don't have very many old adults, but kind of in the middle adults. Um, You know, we have all those different things for families, but you need to get connected. And what he's reminding those who are, who are mature believers is you need to think back and remember God is in control. When he says, remember him who is from the beginning, it's a reminder of the true identity of Jesus Christ, that he himself is from everlasting to everlasting. Jesus is not just our savior. It's a reminder that he is the creator and sustainer of life. And then when we look to the end of eternity, he is the coming king as he ushers us into his kingdom. He is victorious. What he's saying is if you're mature, the message that you need to build into the lives of others is to show them the faithfulness of God as it's been displayed in your life, as you've connected with him, as you've seen him carry you through circumstances and trials and heartache. Remember him who is from the beginning. Then in verse 13, he says, I'm writing to you young men, growing believers, men and women, because you have overcome. That's the message that we need to hear again and again. Jesus is victorious, and this is based on the truth of who he is and what he has done, not based on how we feel, because our feelings have to be governed by truth, because the enemy will use our emotions, he will use our circumstances to try to pull us away and make us forget the victory that Christ has already won. He has already defeated sin and death. And Satan is defeated. It just hasn't had that final blow yet. Because in his grace, he is allowing a season for people from every tribe, tongue, and nation to come to faith in him. But he is victorious and we have overcome. What he's saying to you is that you are going to see a victory because the one who is from the beginning, Jesus, has won. Therefore, we are to live like an overcomer. We are to live as if Jesus really has won. Now, now here's, here's why this is so important. If you just go to your computer or go to your TV and you just look at the news, it's depressing. When we see the circumstances in the world around us and the hardship and the people turning away from God and the brokenness, it can be overwhelming. But when we contrast that to the fact that the God of the universe was willing to step into our brokenness and rescue us, that changes everything. He is working. He is victorious. And we need to be reminded of that continually. That's what what John is doing here. You are free to live a life of radical love like Jesus because we are more than conquerors. Nothing we face is outside of the power and will of a God who loves you more than anything you could ever imagine. Verse 13. This is starting to take on a little more meaning to you instead of just this kind of offset portion in the scripture. I write to you, children, and here he uses a different word than he used before. He doesn't, you know, he uses little children as this term of endearment. This one in, in the original language, it does mean a newborn. So a person you've just placed your trust in Christ and you're, you're just beginning to grow and discover who he is. Um, he's saying, remember, you've experienced the father heart of God. Remember the father. What he's reminding us of the thing that has to be, that we have to learn above all else, is how dearly the Father really loves us. And this is so important because for many people, maybe your relationship with your earthly Father was a terrible picture of God's love. I was having a conversation with a, with a friend this week, and, and we were talking about our roles as, as fathers. And, it's, and one of the things that came out both in the conversation and that has always haunted me as a dad, is that I am the first impression that my children have of what God the Father is like. There is nothing more sobering than that. Because if I don't reflect him well, they're gonna have a distorted view of God. But what John is doing is he's pointing us back to an accurate view of who God the Father is, the one who sent his son for you. Know him. Build your confidence in the fact that he loves you. In, in America, at least, I don't know that it, um, it doesn't work as well in the Czech Republic because um, many of your refrigerator, refrigerators have um, a wooden front or a, um, whatever the word is, that it's a countertop-like front. I forgot what that word is. for mica, um, But in, in the U.S., you would take the pictures that your kids drew and you would use a magnet and you'd put it up on your refrigerator because it's made of metal. And so the whole front of your refrigerator, every time you went to go get milk or anything else, you'd see those drawings of your kids, you know, and they weren't very good, but man, it just made your heart really rejoice. You know, that's what God does with us. Now, I don't know that he has a refrigerator, but he's got your stuff in front of him all the time going, that one's mine. And it's not very good, but I love it. I mean, their use of color was great. They're kind of outside the lines, most of the time, and it just looks like screw. But I can see where they're going. I mean, that's what God does. That's how He views us. He loves us more than you can ever imagine. I'm, I distracted myself. So what He's saying is, remember the Father, and run to the battle. Verse fourteen. I write to you, fathers, and John says exactly the same over again to those who are mature. Remember Jesus' power, his sovereignty, his grace. Remember him who is from the beginning. In other words, set an example with your faith for others and lead them in confidence so that they trust in the one who is consistent from eternity past to eternity future. He never changes. And as you walk with the Lord over the course of a life, through all the trials and all the seasons, you see the consistency of God in a way that others who are walking into those trials need to be reminded of. God is faithful. For those of you who are older in the faith, we need to be encouraging others, showing them God's faithfulness. That's what he's reminding them of. Verse 14, again, I write to you young men, growing believers, and here he he unpacks it a little bit more. He says, remember you're strong. And he's pointing them to the real source of their strength. Remember the power of God's word. Abide in God's word. And remember you are an overcomer. Here's what is so important. One of the things that's uh, that's really, really uh, um, beautiful within the church is, is I love how our young belie- younger believers um, last, last week at, um, after, after church at lunch, we were kind of sitting next to the table of a, a bunch of, young, of adult, young adults and just getting to kind of overhear their conversation and see their excitement and their passion and their joy and their weirdness and all that kind of stuff. And it was so cool because they get me excited. We need that passion in the church. Us old geezers, we need to be prompted and reminded that life is good and it's filled with adventure. And what he's saying to the church and what I wanna say to you is remember you're strong. But the way that you get stronger, the way that you stand is to immerse yourself in God's word. Let it become a part of who you are. Just as lifting weights strengthens the body physically, spending time in God's word, meditating on it, memorizing it is what will build the strength within you so that you're able to see God's victory. To be and live as an overcomer. Remember the word of God in your hearts. That's what John's trying to point out to us. That's the message that he wants to give us. He's saying, remember, you're an overcomer. And I very much believe that in the back of his mind, as John is writing this, and as he's praying over the church as he's writing it, He's reminded of Isaiah 54, which says this in verse 17. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication from me declares the Lord. He's saying we are overcomers. Not because We've done something great, but because we serve a Lord who is holy and victorious. John also would write the outcome of the battle in Revelation chapter 12. And he says this because it's important for us to to see the picture from the cross to the return of Christ. He says this in verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. They have conquered him by two things. By the blood of the lamb, what Jesus has done for us. And secondly, by the word of their testimony. And how is their testimony lived out? They love not their lives even under death. In other words, they so loved like Jesus, they were willing to lay down their lives for others. That's real love. And the word of our testimony, the word that should be the defining story of your life and my life as a follower of Christ, is that we learn to love like Jesus. The word of our testimony is that we lived like an overcomer, like we were strong. We lived like we remembered that Jesus Christ is from everlasting to everlasting, that he is victorious. And God, through the power of his Holy Spirit and the work of his word within us, enabled us to love others and to build them up. That's our call. That's the battle cry, the battle hymn that John is pointing us to. Now when I wrote this message I was going much farther but time is up. So I'm just going to put a bookmark right there and we'll come back and we'll look at, at what's next next week. But would you stir bow your heads with me? Lord God Day after day we need to be reminded of truths we already know because we're so easily distracted by the things of this world. These next few verses remind us that that the, the strategy of the enemy is to try to set our minds and our eyes and our desires on temporary things instead of on what truly lasts, which is your word and your love. So Lord, would you, retune our hearts and our minds. Would you allow the truth of your word to speak into our hearts and minds, remind us of your victory, and remind us that in you, we are overcomers no matter what we face this week. Help us to live out your victory. Help us, Lord, truly to run to the battle, and the battle for us is a battle to love like you, Jesus. Because what overcomes evil is your love. Lord, teach us what that means in the circumstances, and the relationships that we will go from this place and encounter. Holy Spirit, would you show us how to reflect the love of Christ effectively to those around us? And then, Lord, enable us to run to the battle. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.